captivity and he was driven out. He said, I used to, I longed to go back. I remember as the throng, as the crowd went to the house of the Lord. It's sad to pull up here and there's nobody here. It's just hard. But we're here now and God is good. And no matter what the future holds, we know that God is good. Now, before we get started, we'll take some prayer requests, praise reports. I hadn't seen you for a couple of weeks, so I'm sure that y'all have just got stockpiles of things that God has done good for you. Right? Yes. Cindy? Well, that's not good, but it's going to be a good thing, you know, because we, um, because we have great unemployment benefits right now. That's right. So we'll pray for God to move him in the right direction. Anybody else? Oh, yes. We got a marital difficulty, right? So we'll pray for marriage. Anybody else? Yes. We'll pray for her. The reason she doesn't believe in God is because she just doesn't know him. You know, there's no one who knows him who doesn't believe in him. That's just what I know. That's the, that's the reality of it. That's right. You know what? Oh, Lord, just bring her in by the truth. I believe that. Anybody else? Yes. Yes. Yes, just remember you in prayer. Yes, absolutely. Pray for John when you think about him. Anybody else? Yes, Tamara? You got a new place. Well, praise the Lord. That's exciting. Good job. Okay. And Andrea? That's right, right now? Come on. I mean, it's silver lining, isn't it? That's right. This is a silver lining. That's right. I looked up, I looked up flights to Maui. They were only $500. <laughs> I know. That's cheap, y'all. That's cheap. We should just all buy flights to Maui. <laughs> I don't know if they'll let us in, but we'll be there. You know, the airport's a nice place. <laughs> Anybody else? Let's take these to the Lord. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your grace and your mercy. We are so thankful to be called your children, Lord. We humble ourselves before you, Lord God, in love and adoration. And know, Lord God, that you are good and you are trustworthy, God. And, and Lord God, and in your presence, there is fullness of joy. Lord, and at your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. Lord God, I just thank you for intervening in every need that was mentioned, Lord God. And those that weren't mentioned, those that just weigh on hearts right now, Lord, we know, God, that you you are able to do all things, and our full trust and confidence is in you today. I pray that you would open our ears to hear, our hearts to receive, Lord God. Give us illumination by your Spirit. God, revelation, let it come forth into the dark areas of our lives, and let us, Lord God, burn with a passion, Lord God, for you and for the lost. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we're going to start a new series this morning. I get my glasses out. See, I'm out of practice. We're going to start a new series this morning, and I've entitled it "Wrapped in Truth, Not Warped by Lies." Let me say that again: "Wrapped in Truth, Not Warped by Lies," and it, it will be a journey of victorious possession of all the promises of God, wrapped in truth, not warped by lies. Now, I'm just going to give an overview today of this. As I've been 
many of you know, I've been doing my marathon reading. And so I have just about finished the Bible. I wanted to do it in 90 days. I have easily done it in 60 because I wanted to get so far ahead. You know, I always thought I was going to get behind. So I just kept reading more and more and more and more and more. And so now I see that I am so far ahead of my 90-day goal. I'm now in 2 Corinthians, which now you know it's just downhill, right? And so I've started putting on the brakes a little bit and actually doing more study in the Greek and things. So I'm having a lot of fun. So I, I did this to say, okay, people who can't incorporate a Bible reading plan in their life. You can read the Bible in 90 days reading 13 chapters a day. 13 chapters a day. And you'll be surprised. You know, when I made it a go, I was like, okay, I have, I have my Bible app on my phone. And so, say Mike was going to run into a hospital where I can't go in and I'm with him. Man, I could read seven chapters while he's in there. I mean, you'd be surprised at how many times I would be watching a TV program and when the commercials came on, I read the Bible. And then you just blow through it. So what, what that starts to begin to do, and my prayer was this as I read the Bible, because I just didn't want it to be some word processing thing I was doing, just so I could go, woohoo, I read the Bible. What I did is I prayed, Lord, as I read the Bible, I'm a real visual person. Anybody else like me, you're, you have, just use visual aid all the time. And so I just prayed, Lord, I want to be wrapped in the truth of your word. And I would imagine like a cloak being wrapped around me. And then that wasn't enough because I thought that's just something that can be taken off. And so then I began to say, Lord, I want your word to be woven in to the very fabric of my life. And I began to picture, we used to go to the, on the, the Royal Mile in Edinburgh when we, were, when we lived there, and we would go to the shop that had a weaving area where they wove all of the tartan plaids and all the different clans, and they, you could go find your, your plaid in Scotland, yes. And so I would watch that weaving process. It was all autom automat. Yeah, automated. <laughs> That's what I'm looking for. Automated. And so it would just go so fast, and those weaving blooms were just, and it was so loud, and they were just weaving those plaids. And then I went to, how many of you ever heard of David Livingston? He was a famous missionary to Africa. He was from Cambus Lang, which is where we lived. Oddly enough, also George Whitfield preached his revival, and 10,000 people were saved in Cambus Lang on the very location where our house was built. Isn't that cool? I, wa I didn't even know. We just happened along. Mike and I are just, we're just two dummies from the sticks, aren't we? I was walking along one day. Yeah, he agreed. I was walking along one day, and I get to this, I get to this park, and it's like, you know, it's all wooded over, and I'm walking around. I'm by myself, and I'm just walking, doing my walking, and, and I come to this statue, and it says, George Whitfield. Oh, I've heard of him. And then it was a huge statue of him, and it told the whole story of how this park in Cambus Lang, it was, a, it was a real low area in Scotland, and it was a, made a natural amphitheater. And he stood there, and the braes, these were hills that extended up past there, that's where my house was built. The people came, and they would camp out on the braes and listen to him, and George Whitfield would stand there in that low place in, the, in that park, and he would, 
he would, his famous line that he would say, he would say, if you won't weep for your sin, then George Whitfield will weep for you. And he would throw his head back and begin to wail. Not just some, he would cry and wail over the sins of people. And it started, and the people would begin to wail and cry. And it started such a revival in Scotland. This is back in like the 1600s, 1500s. That's what we call the first great awakening. And so, and we look at that and we see about how the, the truth of God has always been powerful to weave into our lives. And then I thought about David Livingston, that his house that he lived in was on another part of town just down the road from us. And so I went to, I mean, I, we were just stuck here. We didn't even know. I'm like, oh, we've got George Whitfield over here, David Livingston over here, different times in the past. And David Livingston was a weaver. And he weaved by, by um, hand the loom and he put it in he had the pattern and you had to push it in they showed us how to do it and pull it out and put the and he would read the bible while he was weaving and he lived in just these little two rooms that we went to his house and I began to think about the process of David Livingston and how, and how, Lord, I want you to weave your truth in me. How it's taking each line and saying, Lord, I want this to be a part of who I am. I thought, this is not going to hurt me. This is only going to help me. And you may be thinking, well, I can't do that, Andrea. I believe you can. I believe that most of you can do it better than me. Because I know that each and every one of us have been given the ability to seek God and to find him. And so it's not something that people say, oh, it's just some elite thing. You, you may not read 13 chapters a day, but I believe you can begin to engage with truth. And it can be woven in to the fabric of your life. And that truth, being wrapped in truth, can begin to counteract the warping of lies that you have believed for generations. And that's what we're going to be looking at. Hopefully, in this, we will begin to look at the seven nations that Israel conquered whenever they went into the Promised Land. And we will derive a lie told to you by every one of the names of those nations. A lie that you believed. We will try to discover where you learned the lie, who told you, who taught you that lie. You will learn to repent. You won't have to do any of this in here. You will learn to repent of the lie for believing it. Forgive the person who taught you to lie, who taught you that lie about yourself. And allow the Holy Spirit to replace that lie with truth. And that's the process of going from being warped by lies to wrapped in truth. Now this is not, this will be discovering who your enemies are. See, many times we place flesh and blood faces to our enemies, don't we? We wrestle not against flesh and blood. So as we look here, I want to start at... Um, 2 Corinthians 1 and 20. Who will read that for me? Can you give me a Kleenex, Mike? 
it's very familiar scripture. My nose is running terribly. Yes, second Corinthians. You'll read. Belinda will read it. Okay, so all the promises of God in him are yes, and through him are amen to the glory of God. Who has it in another translation? Anybody? I think you read King James, didn't you? Who has something other than King James? We'll read it. Andrea? It's good. Okay. What does amen mean? So be it. That's what. So when we say amen, we say what we're saying is, so be it's kind of words we don't use anymore, right? We don't say so be it. Now, y'all know the whole con- controversy, right, of the amen, a woman, how dumb is that, right? We can all agree. If we can't agree on how dumb is that, then we're just going to have to start somewhere else. I don't know. So we have here, it means so be it. We don't really use the words so be it, do we? But we will say this, oh, that's true. That's what you're saying. When you say, so all the promises of God in Christ are yes, and through him, it's amen. It's, that's true. So what we're doing every time we're reading the Bible, every time we're reading a promise, what we're doing is we're not just setting this promise aside the agnostic way as though God is some distant, austere person who lives in some universe in a land far, far away who made us and set us here as a negligent father to never have any dealings with us again because he can't stand the sight of us and one day we will get to heaven or we won't and it won't really matter anyway because God doesn't give a flying flip about any of you. Yikes. Uh, That's just... Andrea's version of what the agnostic believes. Agnosticism is just a fancy word for God doesn't want to have anything to do with me. Now, that is chief lie number one right there. Is God is not good. And God is not safe because he is not good. And you will, be, you will be amazed at how much you live with that lie in your life and you live that out in your daily actions, in your choices, and you recoil from a God who you, in, who you believe is not good. Now, maybe, who taught you that lie? We'll just kind of go through that. Who taught you that lie? That God is not good. It could be an earthly father who was not good. Do you see how that works? And you can take that lie and you can pull it up and you can go, now, how many of you, you know intellectually, if I say God is not good, that's not true, right? But somehow, internally, it doesn't sit there. You see what I'm saying? Your behavior, you live your life as if God is not good because you think that he is always mad and on the hunt to destroy you. If, I'm a real, I, I like to use just 
the most simplistic logic because I am not a real strategist and so complex logic eludes me. But here is simplistic logic for you. If God were mad enough, now I'm not saying sin is not against his character. I'm not saying that, am I? I say, no, you're not saying that. If, but if God were mad enough at the fact that man had failed and wanted to zap him, when would have been the best time, the easiest time? Because how many believe God's a real process God and he doesn't do anything and waste a bunch of energy, right? How many, when would have been the best time for God to eradicate mankind if he chose to do so? When there are only two people to deal with. Wow. Do you see how that lie has been perpetrated by who? The devil throughout humanity and the very action of God eradicates the lie because what did God do? He came after Adam and Eve. He didn't go, oh dang, I had no idea y'all were fallen into sin. I would never have showed up to your house had I known you were going to be in such a filthy, terrible condition. No. And the first thing that God asked Adam was, where are you? God knew right where he was at. Adam had no idea where he was at at this point. And so self-evaluation is very, is very big in this. You've got, to know your, you've got to know God and you've got to know yourself. Those are the two things you've got to know. And you know what? God knows how hard it is for you to know yourself, so he's given you the Holy Spirit to reveal yourself to yourself. I mean, it's not, hey, okay, can we, just, can we just lay aside the lie that God doesn't want us to succeed? God is for you. And if God be for me, what lie could be against me? Oh, man, I start to feel victory when I start. I mean, I start to feel like I am more than a conqueror. How many know what more than a conqueror is? You know, the conqueror, here's a good example of more than a conqueror. Okay, so, so let's say the prize fighter. Who's a good prize fighter? Oh, I just, who's a good prize fighter? George Foreman. Let's do an MMA fighter. Who's MMA? Colin McGregor, right? So we've got, we've got, We've got boxer over here. We've got, we, MMA is more in line with this generation. So we're going to use MMA. We're going to get rid of George Foreman. And we're going to go with Colin McGregor, right? So is Colin McGregor married? I don't know. Is he? Okay. Okay, good. This will work perfectly. So Colin McGregor, he goes into the ring, the cage. It's kind of a cage, isn't it? And then he gets down there. I mean, how many of y'all have seen this? They call it, they, they get each other in these holes and they just like hold them and they're, bl- I mean, it's nasty, right? I don't, I, I hope none of you are MMA fighters. You need help. But, <laughs> but he goes in the ring and he, and he goes whatever rounds with whoever the opponent is and he's all bloody and bludgeoned. I mean, you've seen it, right? It is gross. I mean, this is not like boxing where they get bloody too, but in MMA, it's vicious, isn't it? It is. It's, it's, it's vicious. And so, and Colin McGregor, he comes out, you know, and he's kind of distorted looking, isn't he? Because he's been beat up so many times. And, and so he's, you can see the scars from the fighting on him and how it's kind of distorted his face and whatnot. And so 
He, now we're talking about more than a conqueror. And he's won the prize. He's got the prize. And then he goes home. And he comes in the house. And he hands his wife the prize money. He's a conqueror. She is more than a conqueror. You see that? So when we are called more than a conqueror in Christ, he did the battle. He's the MMA fighter. He's the one who took the blows. He's the one who went however many rings he needed to go to, to destroy death, hell, and the grave. He's the one who, who won. And in him is what? Yes. We just read the scripture. He purchased the yes. And then he came to those he called. How many of you have he called unto salvation? Oh, praise God. That's me. And he handed, he walked in. And when I said, Lord, be my Lord and my Savior, he handed me the check. And he gave me the full reward. Sozo. I have been delivered, saved, and healed because of the price that he paid. And now I am more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus. Now that's good news. I don't have to fight for my winnings. Do you think there needs to be another fight after Colin McGregor has been given the check for that? No. He's already won it. I don't have to argue with the devil about it. We have aggrandize the devil to such a place in the church that we now have him equal with God. You know, we, 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 got, we got, you know, oh, I talked to a man a few years ago. I would say a long time ago in a place far, far away, but the reality is it was right here in this church. They don't attend this church anymore. He came in the back door and he had been sick or whatever, you know, I don't know, the full. And I said, and I made this statement. I said, well, we're just going to tell the devil to get his hands off you. We're not going to put up with this lying thief anymore. Yeah. I would think that most people would not think, take that as an insult, right? You know what he said to me? Exact words. He said, please don't speak of the devil that way. I don't want him coming after me anymore. I went. That's all I did. Well, every other word that was going to come out was going to insult him so badly. And there's nothing else. I, I mean, I couldn't. You see what I'm saying? And do you realize I, I marked it? Because that was significant to me. How many of you remember a conversation like that? I never saw him back here again. But then I wonder, how many of us espouse that type of philosophy in our own lives? We are more than conquerors. We have been in the, you can go look this up in your own time. In the, the, it's not a parable, it's an actual occurrence of the ten lepers, right? Y'all remember that? 
There's the ten lepers, and what does, and they're in a little group because lepers hang out in a group because that's what the law required, and you know, they're unclean, unclean, the whole thing. And so these lepers get close enough to Jesus, as close as the law will allow. It might be <laughs> while wearing special clothing. Anyway, so they get their social distancing, and they are marked with their leprosy, and they are saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on us. Will you heal us? Because they've heard the reports. All this man has to do is he just has to say the word. And what does he say? Go and show yourself to the priest, for you're healed. And as they turned, I guess in that moment of faith, they received his word, they believed it, right? And I, I believe this, at the moment they turned in faith to go to the, the priest, they started to realize, could you imagine that realization party? They started to realize that their leprosy, the outward signs of it, were vanishing. And they knew, I mean, how many of you, you don't have to pretend to be changed. When God touches you, you know you're changed. And I don't want people to pretend to be free. I don't want you to try to take your warped lies and try to, and try to peddle them off as some sort of as quasi-freedom. That's what religion tries to do. That's not what we want to do. If it's not freedom, then we're going to keep work, working on it. And so here are these lepers. If you look, it says that they were, they were cured. There's a word in the Greek, and I don't have it in my notes, in my mind or anything, but it just means to give a cure, much like a doctor would do, Right? There's levels of healing. And so I could just give you a cure and you get well, and then you could go and you're, you're well. It doesn't necessarily, when you go to the doctor and he makes something go away through a medical treatment, it may not cure an inferiority complex, right? You see that? It doesn't. It only has a certain amount it can only derive a certain amount of benefit, that medicine in your life, right? It can't. So if you have scars from your childhood, that doctor is not working on that. So what I'm saying is, is Jesus in that day, all he cured was what? Leprosy. That's it. How many of you think that these men probably had other problems? Like childhood woes. Maybe this. Maybe one had a pain in his appendix. And maybe, I mean, how many of you have ever had something healed and something left? Is that not the weirdest thing, right? There's a healing administered, but we understand that. So I don't know, and I, I could be wrong on it. It could have hit every physical healing. I don't know. The scripture doesn't say. But it does say that they were cured. They were just cured. Cure has a different connotation. So all we can assume is they were cured of their leprosy. Now, what's the story? One did what? He came back. And he said, Lord, thank you, thank you. I worship you, I worship you. Thank you so much. And he said, weren't there ten I healed? And yet you, a Samaritan, are the only one who comes back. He said, go. Your faith has made you whole. That word whole there is sozo. You have, he now has been. He just didn't get rid of leprosy. Sozo means he is saved, delivered, and healed. 
complete and total restoration of every area of his life. Now, I submit to you, I'm tired of the church just settling for this healing and that healing. I would love to see people actually experience a full-on sozo. Because how many of you believe that that is what the cross has purchased for us? It is not impossible for people to have their blind eyes opened physically while their spiritual eyes remain closed. It is not impossible for people to have heart disease healed while their heart remains stone. It is not impossible for people to be completely restored in their physical man and their spiritual man to be completely and utterly warped by the lies of the enemy. And I have found that the one who is healed physically, but who is not sozoed, who is not healed totally, is more apt to return to the physical malady than is the person who is healed body, soul, and spirit. We had this happen in Hot Springs, didn't we? Had a woman. Mike came home and he said, um, I don't know if I got the story right. You came home and you prayed for her and you said, I saw the spirit of death on her. Yes. Yes, so much so that she went, I mean, healed, terminal cancer, final stages, he prayed for her, she went back to the doctor, no cancer. She didn't come back to church. So see, there are many times. So her issue wasn't cancer, was it? There was, a, there was an issue, and cancer was just a manifestation of it. And yet, healing from cancer did not transverse, did not transcend into the inner man where she... T- and I bet, I bet many of you, how many of you have been in church a number of years and you have seen similar things happen? You have seen people healed, and you're like, woohoo! I have seen people healed, and I think this ought to bring revival. It is harder, harder to get people out of their inner lives than it is to get them out of their physical sickness. So I want to hopefully, and this is only by the power of the Holy Spirit, I don't know, the Lord's just been dealing with me in this and dealing with me in this and dealing with me in this. I want us to journey through. I want you to begin to ask the Lord to search you, to ask you, ask you to ask the Lord, what lies am I believing? And whenever, and here's the greatest way to do this and the greatest time to do this. When something comes on you, you know a circumstance, right? And we all have, gosh, we live in the exact same world. How many of you have found, like me, that in the right environment, things flourish? Right? 
So you get in a certain environment, maybe a certain stress. It could be around a certain family member. It could be even sometimes the right time of year, an anniversary of something, right? It can be the right environmental factor. And then something that we all know it by, it triggers an emotional response, right? Now, we're not saying emotions are bad. I just submit to you that emotions are bad to follow. They make great servants and terrible masters, right? And so when an emotional response comes to stop, what's your first, your first go-to is, is probably like mine. I want to blame somebody. Anybody else? Yeah, well, yes. I mean, I want to blame somebody. Because I, I often assign enemies a face. Right? Don't we all? You want to blame somebody. Now, right now, you've all got the somebody that you're dealing with, and maybe you're blaming them. The problem is, many times, the person who we want to assign blame is, is on the other side of the grave. And we can't kill them again. You see what I'm saying? So we just resurrect them in there. We just continue to pull them alongside. And now I will say this, forgiveness, forgiving someone, you'll have to do some forgiving. Forgiving someone does not make an, an act perpetrated against you right. It only makes you right. You see what I'm saying? I mean, it doesn't mean that when you forgive, so that's why many people don't forgive others. It's because they think in forgiving them, it will clear them of the guilt or make what they did to them right. Am I, am I wrong or am I right on this? And so we feel like we've got to steward this in a sense of justice. If I forgive them, then it will somehow give them, it'll make what they did right and what they did. And we keep going. How many of you have lapped that same bush? You're like, I'm going to forgive them. And then you're like, but what they did was wrong. And you're like, okay, I, for, I forgave them. But you start to feel like, but what they did was wrong. And so you go back and you pick it back up. And you're like, if no one else is going to steward this wrong, then I'm going to. How many anybody but me? And so we don't, we were like, and then finally, you just come to the reality of that what they, but forgiveness doesn't, doesn't say that their action was right. It, it doesn't, it doesn't say that what they did to you was okay. It just moves you past the attachment of it to where it is continuing to poison your life. Yes, Tawana? Absolutely. I mean, so funny. I mean, I've got to share. Yesterday, um, we had the kids at the house celebrating Mike's birthday. And um, he gets a call on his voicemail. And who was it? To wish him a happy birthday. Now, isn't this funny? And you know what? You know what his first response was? To call him back. So much so. So, okay, that is Sozo. He's never, he's never. So when he calls and he's like, Mike, this is James Hall. I just wanted to wish you a happy birthday. I mean, I, I don't know if I'm this sanctified, y'all. I'm still working. I'm just keeping... I'm just keeping it honest, okay? But his re first response is, 
I said, what did you do? He said, I tried to call him right back, but I couldn't get a hold of him. Absolutely. And he's so... Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's one thing. That is one thing and I, that I believe is so important in this is that we have to be willing to forgive. And so with that, now I want to go to, we'll look at, okay, God is not a man that he should lie. This is Numbers 23 and 19. Understand that all the promises are God's word, his declaration, his yes. Yes, he says this, and they're all fulfilled in Christ. And we answer with the amen, and we say, that's true. We've got to find ourselves agreeing with truth. So here's Numbers 23 and 19. It says, God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not do it or promise and not fulfill it? So, so many times we have seen people to be liars, right? How many have ever told a lie or had somebody tell you a lie? Well, we all have to raise our hand on that, don't we? Now, many times, me include, I'm just telling you all about me. I am the most unjust person in the world. What do I mean by that? I hold others to a very high standard while letting myself off the hook all the time. Do any of y'all? Yes, you do. <laughs> And so this is part of the self-discovery process. You know what? God knows that about me. He knew it before I knew it about me. And he still loved me anyway. Because that's who he is. Because he's not a God that he should lie. He has not said it, and will he not perform it? He's going to do it. He doesn't say, my promises are subject to you behaving rightly. Now, I'm not saying you can act however you want to, but there is a big disconnect with us believing we have to achieve something. The greatest enemy I find in my own life over and over and over again is the return to me in a sense of works. I gotta earn that. Trying to get some religious tokens in my pocket so I can go to the spiritual superstore and slap them down. Now, I wouldn't do that, but that's essentially what it is. You see what I'm saying? That many times people have used fasting and praying. Was fasting and praying good? Absolutely, but not for spiritual tokens. How about Bible reading? Great, but it's not a spiritual token to transact business in the heavenlies. See, that's, a, that's such a cunning lie of religion that ultimately is, is based back in the belief that we've got to be good enough before God will be good to us. We've got to be careful because we look at this and so we know that God does not lie. And then John 8, 44, where do lies come from? Who will read that for me? John 8, 44. God is not a liar. He keeps his word. He delights to keep his word. He wants to keep his word. He's looking somewhere to keep his word. John 8, 44. Well, I've got it on my phone. You are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your 
He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in his truth. Because there is no truth in him. Mm. He speaks a lie. He speaks of his own resource. He is a liar and a father of Okay. Where did lies come from? He is the father of lies. So all the lies told to you, who fathered those lies? Is that what the scripture says? So Satan is the father of lies. When he speaks to you, how many of you have ever heard the voice of the devil? Raise your hand. How many of you are more familiar with the voice of the devil than you are the voice of God sometimes? Sadly, I raise my hand. <laughs> I'm Truly. Now, you're like, I don't know if that's the voice of the devil or not. Doesn't have those, doesn't have those Hollywood thematics to it. Yeah. <laughs> right there. What's he always telling you? He's always lying to you. And who is he maligning? There's two people he's always maligning. You and God. He's an accuser. He accuses you, and when he doesn't accuse you, he'll accuse God. Why? Because you're not lovable. And you've tried to be good, but you're not. You should just quit. See, those are... So, are those voices true? If you listen to those voices and you begin to agree with them, what's going to happen to you? You're going to be warped by lies. So... How many of you believe it is advantageous for you to shut the liar up? Now, in order for you to shut the liar up and to shut him down, what are you going to have to know? You're going to have to know truth. Now, if you're not, some of you may be saying, you know what, I don't, I don't know the word that well. Am I going to have to wait? No, no. Here's an easy thing to do. If the devil says it to you, right? He can't tell the truth, right? So if he says it to you, it's a lie. What's, what is true, though? The opposite. <laughs> it's just the opposite is true. I've told people that many times, that if you, many people, I don't know how to walk in the Spirit. Yeah, you do. It's so easy. You know how to walk in the flesh, right? Yeah, I've been doing that for years. Whatever you normally do, do the opposite, and you'll be walking in the Spirit. So if you normally cuss and get mad, what do you got to do? Stop cussing and getting mad. Go bury your head in your pillow and cuss if you got to until this, the cussing desire goes away. Because what will happen is, is when you stop sowing to it and giving it vent and giving it voice and giving it a place to land and stoking that fire of the flesh, what will happen pretty soon? If you don't kindle that fire, what happens to a fire that you don't feed? It goes out and gets cold. So much so that ash will not burn, will it? No. When we were raised with wood fire, that's all we had was to warm our house, was actually a fireplace. Mike and I were talking the other day, and I was told him we were laughing because Jacob, all he does is shop at Goodwill. And Mike and I go to like Goodwill or somewhere like that, you know, and this is, we were laughing because he goes and, and Jacob forages at Goodwill forages. He'll spend an hour or two at Goodwill. I mean, and, the, and me and Michael go in those places, and this is what we do. As my girls, their favorite place to shop is dirt cheap, which we call it dirty and cheap. 
and broke. I mean, it's just broken, dirty, nasty. How many of you have been to dirt cheap? So me and Mike, we go into Goodwill, and this is what we, and this is us. I do. It stinks. I'm in there. Now, what's funny, I'll be in there, and I'm like, this place smells funny. Now, you're all thinking I'm a snob, and I look at that. And I'm like, let's go. What's funny is Mike and I were laughing about it because there's no two people who are raised poorer than me and Mike. <laughs> and we were like, what now we're putting on airs? We're too good to go to Goodwill. And our kids are the ones who shop at Goodwill. And they're like, this is great. You just got to wash it. It has, a, it has a weird smell, but if you wash it, it'll be fine. And, and me and Mike are like, I mean, I was raised, I, my, my dream growing up, I wanted a bathroom with a sink. And one where the toilet flushed. Yes. Is that too much to ask? One where you could put toilet paper in the toilet and flush it. Yeah, this, see, I'm telling you, Michael's like, yeah, he said, I wanted a house that actually had plumbing and didn't have raw sewer running under it. And, you know, and, and I said, and I said, in my greatest, I said, now, and I laughed, and I said, and I wanted a house with central heat and air, because all we had was a fireplace, and that you built a, a, a fire, you know, with wood, and so I told Mike the other night, I said, now I have a house, and I have one, two, three, four actual bathroom sinks in my house, and I have central heat and air. I said, isn't that funny? I said, that's all I want. He said, and he said, yeah, and he said, and our kids now shop at Goodwill and Dirty and Cheap. But see, what I found out in all of that is that if I go to that fireplace in the morning, the first thing you had to do was stoke it. And what, were, what was it, my mother, my dad, or me, or my brother, what were we looking for? Just a live coal. That's it. That's all we were looking for. And then there's kindling there. You put a little kindling on there. You've got to service that fire. And then you get a, once you get the kindling lit, right, now I can add a bigger log. Not too big or it'll smother it, right? I go for a little log, a couple of little logs. I get those caught, and then I've got a good burn. And then I can take a big log and put it on there, and that log will burn for a while. See, that's how your flesh is. The devil just looks for the, the ember. That's why you keep circling the same things. It's because he's cunning. The devil roams about what? As a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. May devour. What is that word may indicative of? This has to have permission. When Jesus said, the prince of this world is coming, and what did he say after that? And he has nothing in me. So if I... Track with me on this. If I am in Christ, and Christ is in me, and I am in the Father, and the Father is in the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and we, you see the unity that Christ, how many of you believe that's good theology? That if I am in Christ, and the devil has nothing in him, and he completely defeated him, then the devil is a defeated foe. And that I have to give him permission in my life to kill, steal, and destroy by how I agree. I let him tend the fireplace. He comes along and he stokes it up. How many of you have been stoked up by a circumstance or a situation? Right? 
And then, first off, the little lightweight kindling goes on. Some of you are like me. I mean, how many of you, you just, you would admit this. There's different personalities in the room. Now, my husband is not this way. He's gone, but he, he would not argue. When I, anger for me was a problem. Anybody? Because anger comes just like that. That's how you know anger is a problem. You're fine, and then it's just that easy of a trigger to go from fine to mad. Anybody ever, anybody else? You've experienced, that's what, okay. That is just in your flesh. It's no problem. Now, other people, like my husband, he would say, I don't even know how you do that. He's like, I'm like, I'm going to get mad. I said, you don't feel like lava? He's like, no, I've wanted to feel lava. He's like, I'm like, I'm trying for lava. I'm like, he said, I'll try to like be like, I should be mad, but there's just nothing there. There's just people like that. I'm telling you. And Lainey, my oldest daughter, exactly the same way. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that just be great? But you think it would be great, but he's like, you know, sometimes it's like, it's like the, he's like, it's so after the fact. He said, people can insult me or offend me, and I know I'm being assaulted or offended, but there's just nothing. And he's like, then it's like, at, you know, 10 hours later when I'm in the shower, I'm like, well, that made me mad. I should have said this and this and this. <laughs> he said, then I have no target for my anger. I just, so then he said, then you just pack it in and internalize it. <laughs> so we find we're so made so differently. And so whether we get mad easily or we don't, and maybe anger is not a problem for you. But there are other sins besides anger, aren't there? There's a whole lot of other things. And everything that I find is attached to a lie. It is attached to a lie. Now, I know in my life, let's just take anger for a second. The lie associated with anger for me is that I lived in a violent home, right? Violence was all my home knew. My dad came in drunk, and he threw spaghetti sauce on the walls, and he beat at my mother, and he shot at the house. That's just what you did. That's how you, I don't know, just expressed yourself when, the, when you were having fun with alcohol. And so, seeing that... Any circumstance that arises, I was trained, you know, like you take a puppy and you, and you make them mean, right? You know how to make a puppy mean. Well, any circumstance, I was taught to fight. That if you didn't fight, you would be in trouble. You stood up for yourself. So see, there you have that. And you, you nature, I had the right biology coming from that, but then I also it was, it was nurtured as well. And so anger was the way when you felt out of control... You fought. You used anger. Now, in my life, early in my 20s, it was easy for me. To, and what you do is you manifest that in rage. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Rage. When you get mad, you do some rage-worthy thing, which might be breaking something, usually. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Some people, men, usually, it's punching a hole in the wall. Women don't do that as much because it hurts really bad. <laughs> right? I'm not kidding. I've seen, I mean, I'm, I'm making light of this, and I'm trying to make light of it. It's a terrible controlling force in your life, right? But then 
I mean, with, for women, it's just tearing up something. For men, it's usually tearing up bigger things that you have more force over. That's just the way it works. Well, early on in my early 20s, I was mad about something, and I just reached over, and I just grabbed the curtain. They were just right there beside me, you know, and I just, and the whole thing came down. And then there's, when you suffer with rage, it's like, that felt good. You may know what I'm talking about? You know what I'm talking about. And you're like, oh. And then instantly, but see, now I'm, I'm at this point in my life, I'm a child of God. And, I've, and the Holy Spirit's beginning to communicate with me. And I'm, I'm walking in truth. And so, see, he's taking, he's taking every promise and making it my truth, right? Because he keeps his word. And he's wanting me to be more than a conqueror. So instantly, he stops me. And he says, you know what the, you know what the Holy Spirit said? And the voice of the Father said, that does not glorify me. I went, I had never been told that. See, because I had to stop myself. So who taught me the lie that anger could only be expressed in rage? Now, who taught me that? My father. My father taught me. Now, I'm not saying so. My father taught me that. He taught me that the appropriate response to anger was rage and destruction. And so I had to, at some point, say, I had to repent because I had, or it wasn't his actions. I couldn't just blame him because I had participated in that lie too. And so I had to say, Heavenly Father, forgive me because those actions I participated in were in agreement with the devil and a lie, and they did not glorify you. And then I also have to say, because I know where I learned that lie, I have to say, and I forgive my dad for teaching me that. You see that? Because if you don't do that step, many times we hold this latent unforgiveness. And then I had to release my dad for teaching me that. And I had to see him that somebody had probably taught him that. And then I had to say, now, Holy Spirit, what's true? Because a house clean and swept, you've got to put something in it, don't you? Don't just leave it open. See, and I put it, I filled it with the truth. And that truth was that I have self-control as a part of the fruits of the Spirit. And I am under his control. And I do not have to partner with that lie. And that rage that had always been cultivated in my life was just removed. Now see how that works? Now, you're, and now some things will be just that easy and other things will be a process. But my point is this. We have must, we must, we must, we must, we must stop partnering with lies if we're going to walk in truth. How many of you agree you cannot walk East and West at the same time. You also cannot walk in truth and lie at the same time. 
So that's what we're going to do. Lord, we thank you for your word. I pray, God, that you would begin, Lord God, to cultivate this within our spirit, Lord. Let us be, Lord God, learners and lovers of truth, Lord God. We want to walk free. We want to walk whole. We want to walk healed, Lord God. We want to be the champions of grace that you have assigned us to be, being victorious in every area of our life, saved, delivered, and healed in the name of Jesus. Amen. You can't scream out. Yeah, that's got to develop that. That's all you do. You call in and you can scream to get your, your, your frustrations out. I'm afraid that all that does is just cultivate more aggressions. <laughs> oh, goodness.